Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Attorney, advocate, author, public speaker, The Lisa Wexler Show, WICC 600 AM and 1073 FM. Flip that switch and turn on your brain. Here is Lisa Wexler. And welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show, a few minutes after 11 o'clock. Hello and welcome. In this hour, Wayne Winston will be joining us in about a half hour. We got lots to mix up with him. But I wanted to talk with you a little bit about Norwalk now. The city of Norwalk is mulling, mulling, changing their educational policy for kids. Um, And this is a new grading policy. Now, they wouldn't be the first in this country to be doing this, not even perhaps the first in Connecticut. But I wanted to bring it to your attention because I think for some of us it rankles. There is a new Grading for Equity committee. And this committee has been composed of a lot of different educators and people that Norwalk respects. They formulated six recommendations to, quote, increase equity within the Norwalk Public Schools grading policy after they read a book. They read a book called Grading for Equity by Joe Feldman, and they studied the book. And after they studied the book, they said, we love this book. We think this book is really talking to societal problems and culture. And we think that right away, Norwalk should take some of the suggestions from Mr. Feldman. And here they go. Here they are. And the people that are on the committee include principals, directors of leadership and development, teachers and counselors and staff who work with multilingual learners. The committee also includes some student involvement. And Thomas McBride, who is the Deputy Superintendent of Excellence, Equity, and Inclusion, explained that the book recommends certain things for grading. So they looked at this, and what they wanted to do, and to me this is fascinating because it is so self-contradictory. They say that they want to focus on accuracy in grading and remove subjectivity. And they want to have grades that are mathematically sound. Yet one of their first recommendations is that nobody gets less than a 50. How do you not, I mean, how do you actually, with a smile, tell a group of people and expect them to swallow this, that what you're looking for is accuracy in grading 
and yet you're not going to let it be mathematically possible for anybody to get under a 50. What if somebody simply doesn't know the material? Now, it's rare to get a 50. Most people don't get a 50, and failing is typically 65, sometimes 70. And a 50 is a pretty low grade, let's face it. But every now and then there are kids that simply don't know what they're doing or they are not completing a test, which actually tells the teacher a lot as well. And so while they are advocating accuracy and grading, one of the first things they want to do is they want to make the kids feel good to the extent that they are never going to get less than a 50, even if they deserved a zero. The other thing they're saying is that they want grading to be merit-based without environment or behavior. And therefore, they don't think a teacher should be able to include whether or not a kid raises her hand. And of course, you're talking to the original raise hander, hand raiser. Uh, they don't think participation should be a criteria that a teacher should be allowed to consider when giving a grade. I would disagree with that. I think participation and an indication of engagement is incredibly important when grading a child. It, first of all, tells you if you've got a curious learner. It tells you if you've got a learner paying attention. It tells you if you've got a learner who understands the gap in his or her learning and wants to move forward with that gap. It also very often wakes up the rest of the kids in the class who are sleeping, simply by raising your hand. But this particular equity and inclusion recommendation says that in terms of accuracy, and getting rid of subjectivity, they don't think that the teacher should be able to count the extent to which a kid wants to participate in school. It's really very, very fascinating what's going on here. And there are several other recommendations as well. Those are the two that really popped out at me. I'm looking for the rest of them here, but of course, naturally, I can't find them. And um, the bottom line is the Common Council uh Eventually, I guess, would have to look at these, or the Educational Council will have to look at them. But, okay, here we go. Here's more. So the second theme is that grading is merit-based without environment or behavior factoring into scores. So they don't want your behavior factoring into scores, which I also think is not fair to teachers. What if you have a kid in school who is irascible and disrespectful? What if you have a kid in school who curses? who says, what the F are you talking about, teacher? You don't think that that teacher should be able to mark them down a grade? I do. I think respect and comportment in a classroom is an absolutely viable criteria for grades. I do. Sorry. Does it tell me you're good in math? Maybe not particularly. Does it tell me whether or not you're a student I want to have in my classroom? It sure does. It sure does. They say the third crucial aspect for grading practices relies on motivations for students to grow and achieve academic success with, quote, opportunities for redemption and clear targets for success. Well, every decent teacher does that anyway. You're telling me that you don't ha haven't had a teacher in your life, that the basic essential of being a good teacher is understanding your kid has to keep climbing up the ladder? That's the essential for every parent, for every mentor, and for every teacher. You fall down, here's the way to get back up. You don't have to tell a teacher that. They already know that. So here's what they want to do. Here are the specific recommendations. This is about the city of Norwalk. 
And I'm curious to know what you think about this. 203-333-9422. The first is they suggest that the school district offer students an opportunity to retake or redo a test for a stronger score within a specific time frame and that they will record only the higher score. What do you think about that? What would that do to you? If Imagine yourself as a student in fourth grade, fifth grade, then in eighth or tenth, and maybe it makes a difference whether or not these are implemented in high school versus middle school or elementary school. Do you want your kid to get the lesson that they don't have to study that hard for the first time because they'll always have a chance to redo it? What do you think about that? The second thing is they want rubrics, fancy word in education, for detailed criteria and scales with multiple areas of assessment for student progress. Well, that is, don't we do that already? Knock, knock. Interestingly about homework, they don't think that homework should ever be graded. No more teachers allowing to grade your homework. They can only serve as practice and preparation. And you should never, ever be punished for not doing homework. Well, you know what? I sort of like the idea because I had a son who never did his homework. My daughter, on the other hand, always did her homework. Hmm, what am I going to do with that? Am I going to change the rules for my son who never did his homework? Or am I going to reward my daughter because you know what she did? What do you think about that? I'll tell you what I think. I think it should be up to the teacher. It should not be a district-wide policy. If a particular teacher in a particular class wants to use a homework as preparation and not grade it, God bless. And if another teacher makes it very, very clear that homework is going to be graded and it is her expectation that to get a good grade in that particular class you have to do your homework, then that should be the rule. That's what we should do. We should allow teachers to teach in the best way they see fit. But they want to make a district-wide rule that if you don't do your homework, no punishment. How many kids do you think are going to do their homework? Just asking. Just asking. In addition, the committee recommends project-based learning. They want to do projects, not individuals. How does that work out in the real world for you? How frustrating is it for you and for your kid when they have a project to do as opposed to something less than a project and they can't quite get it done? Do you know how much more executive functioning it takes for the average kid to do a project? Do you know that very often kids need the assistance of adults to complete a project and many kids, speaking about equity, may not have that adult handy to be able to do that project? Do you know that projects sometimes involve collaboration with a kid or two who isn't pulling their weight? I think to make a district-wide recommendation about this is rather extreme. But again, if a teacher wants to do it, if a teacher assesses a class in a particular curriculum and says, I think a project works here, then why not? Mathematically, instead of students receiving a zero, the committee proposed that the minimum grade be 50%. I just love this. They want accuracy in grading, but you can't get less than a 50. Can you make it up? And by the way, this is for math. This is for math they want to do this. So two and two can equal five. It's okay. You'll still get a 50. Uh, The final recommendation is for grades to follow a standards-based approach, which means they would be based on required content, notably removing lateness or compliance from consideration. Once again, shouldn't it be at the discretion of a teacher? Shouldn't we allow for flexibility? Don't we want to have a teacher get to know a student? If a student is chronically late and there's a good reason, say, I'm going to excuse it because I know he or she has been sick or had trouble getting here, but on the whole is doing a great job and participates in class and hands in her homework. 
I mean, what are we doing here? We're trying to remove the human element because we don't trust teachers. You want to know why teacher morale is low. This is one of the reasons. This is one of the reasons. Because we make these top-down on high pronouncements for classrooms. And we don't trust the teachers we've hired. And we are asking so much of our teachers. Not only a bachelor's degree, most often a master's degree. Many of them in debt when they start. And they don't get paid commensurate with their education. They don't. They get nice benefits and everything else, and they get summers off. But who are we kidding? We've got a very stretched labor force, a very stressed labor force. We've got a public school system that is in crisis right now. Do you know that we've lost a million kids from American public schools in the last two years? A million. Now, our birth rate is shrinking, but not as far down as our removal from public schools would suggest. And in New York City, they lost over 8% of their entire public school population, and 7.8% was replaced by going to charter schools, with the remaining 0.5% either leaving the state or going to homeschooling where we've had an enormous surge, enormous surge in people that are homeschools because parents have had it. They know the score. They're already saying, my kid isn't getting a good enough education in public school. I'm paying the taxes. I live here, but I'm not satisfied. So let me ask you this, 203-333-9422. If you had a kid in public school right now and you heard that they were moving to these standards, would you be happy about it or would it cause you to want to make a change? I'm Lisa Wexler. We'll be right back. Listen to Lisa while you're at work. WICC600.com. Back to the Lisa Wexler Show on WICC600. And welcome back to the show. Let's go to the phones. We were talking about Norwalk's possible implementation uh, of some equity, diversity suggestions and recommendations based on a book that they read after an eight-month study. This is a distinguished group of a committee, but I went through them one by one by one. Curious what you think about them. Linda from Norwalk. Hi, you live in Norwalk, Linda? Yes, I do, uh, Lisa. I was, uh, when I read it in the newspaper the other day, I was so upset because I, for two reasons, I just felt like the, the whole idea seems to be lowering expectations. Mm, and also, good point. Um, hampering, I mean, it's like... Um, tying up the teacher's hands and feet totally do anything totally and uh, i just and i don't i i really don't understand i've been i i've taught in the past a high school a grammar school esl wow and the interesting thing is that i've seen so many different uh studies that have been implemented and you know that's five or six years of a kid's life yes and it goes away yes you know they don't do it anymore yes and i think well what's the whole point of it <laughs> And I feel badly because this is a kid's life we're talking about. That's correct. They can't get back the years. You don't get a second chance. I feel the same way. And I love what you said about lowering your expectations. You know, my feeling has always been, and I feel this way as a mentor, you keep the bar high. You keep the bar high. If kid doesn't reach it, that's okay. But you don't lower the bar. You keep the bar high. I agree. And the thing is, is this preparing the kid for for for, for the world? Of course not. In the real world, is I mean, 2 so plus 2, 5. Linda, is. Linda, is 2 plus 2, 5. Are you going to get a 50 or a 0 in the real world <sighs> if you tell your boss 2 plus 2 is 5? What are you going to get? A 50 or a 0? Yeah. I mean, it's, um, I, I just, it, it bothers the mind that they spent money and time on this when there's so much else that has to be done in the schools. I agree with you. But that's, this is where they're heading. Me. And, you know, some of this seems to be like, um, you know, 
I don't know. It's like they want to improve society by doing an outcome-based approach. They feel like if we can just regulate the outcome, if we can just make the average higher, if we can just do this, we can look at ourselves and say we're doing something socially good. And, you know, what do they say? The road to hell is paved with good intentions. I'm not suggesting that these people have anything but good intentions, but I disagree with their tactics because I think you have to give authority and a degree of autonomy to your teachers and back them up because you know your good teachers when you're an administrator. You know who your good teachers are, and you have to back them up. And if one teacher loves homework and does it the right way, not in an onerous way, then you back up that teacher. And if another teacher says, I don't I do agree. homework in my classroom, homework is not going to be my measure. It's not you know, my kid knows my kids know their expectations. They have to show up on time for a test and they have to do well on it. But homework is a tool I use, but it's not a great tool. Then you back up that teacher. You know your good teachers, Linda. You know who they are. Well, you know what? I, I think uh, with the, this, this really looks like the, the, the lack of respect for teachers. It really does. And I it's think so. It's a very so. sad thing because as a kid, I mean, I don't know if I would go into teaching at this point. Well, that's a, that's another a lot crisis, is expected right? Of a school, yeah, a lot is expected. Of a a lot, too much. And uh, yes, it is. I mean, the teacher can't do everything. They can't do everything. And I think uh, I, I, I don't know if it's a lot. If some of the um, parenting duties are, um, if, if if parents are are given um, kind of like a little pass on this. Mm. Yeah, a lot is expected of the teachers. I don't know. Mm. Um, I, I'm not in the, in the school system now, but I just see it's just a, a, a burden. So and when I you read the paper, you had the, people will, Yeah. So when you read the paper, Linda, as a former teacher in Norwalk, you had the same reaction pretty much that I did. My which husband is, and I, we laughed at it. Yeah. We laughed at it. It was like ridiculous. It's how could this possibly be? Mm-hmm. And when you go through it, when you read it, mm-hmm. the, the wording, it seems so... Um, ridiculous yeah i mean if you had to you know that if a comedian a comic could Mm -hmm. use this as a a routine yeah so ridiculous yeah well you know it's um it's it's a notion that is spreading i found it particularly interesting because it was just based on a study of one book you know to me if you're going to be a committee and you're going to come up with recommendations that are going to change grading in a school system read more than one book Okay, don't just read the book that is the favorite right now of the people that are so-called the academics in the world. But that's what was done in the past. Um, I know, Lisa. I know. You know the open school concept. Mm. You know what I'm saying? The, 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 all those kinds of things. Yeah. Maybe it would be good in a certain situation, but not like uh, for a whole system. Correct. You know? Now, will this? Um, this is not a fait accompli, is it? No, it is not. It is in discussion. Thank God. So the community has to get active. And and basically, the conversation then goes to your board of ed. This is a committee that will be making a recommendation to the board of ed. The board of ed will feel like they're hearing from distinguished, reputable sources. And they will likely do this unless there is a pushback from the community. Well, hopefully there is. Linda, thank you for the call. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Ron from Trumbull. Hey, Ron, what are your thoughts on this? I would pose to the uh, to the educators that are looking at this book. How did they get through school? Would they would they get to the position in life right now if they went through a similar process? That's a how good would point. They like their own kids? How would they like their own kids to be educated? 
Wow. I mean, this is pure nonsense. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I think that you raise a really good point. Would you have gotten to your place in the world if th- these had been the rules for you, if you didn't have to do homework, if your lateness didn't count, if your participation wasn't noticed, and if you could only get a 50? That's good. Why don't we ask these people how they grew up? That's a really good point. Absolutely. But I, but I hope that somebody does, if they, in terms of this is going to go before the board of ed or, or before the public and so forth. I mean, I, just, just, I don't know what these people are thinking. And like you said, one book? Come on. That's the truth, though. That's really what it is. It's laughable. It's not funny, but it's laughable. It's very laughable, yeah. Well, you have a good day, dear. Take care. Thank you, Ron. Thank you so much. So, yeah. 203-333-9422. And by the way, speaking of education, big story in the Connecticut Post, Josh LaBella writing that Fairfield families are worried about the redistricting, that it could limit the ability to walk to school. So what's happening in Fairfield is that there is a community-wide redistricting going on, possibly going on, to address historic racism and diversity of opportunity and basically integration versus segregation within the Fairfield School District. And a lot of these people were interviewed by the Connecticut Post, and they feel like they moved to the specific house they moved to because they wanted their kid to be able to walk to the local elementary school. And they like that their kid can walk to the local elementary school. They like the feeling of community. It makes them feel like hometown America. It creates ties that bind in neighborhoods. It creates accountability among neighbors. It creates friendships, plain old simple friendships. And it makes the kids feel good as they're growing up as they walk to school because they have that sense of autonomy and freedom while being sort of overseen by the neighborhood at large. And it's, it's the reason they move to their neighborhood. They love it. And they're very afraid that in the interest of a greater societal theory about integration, that they're going to lose it. And they're very, very upset about it. And uh, a lot of people have spoken up. They really want their representatives in Fairfield to hear them. Now, Fairfield still has an RTM system. Remember, the charter revision was turned down. Uh, in the referendum in November. So that's not happening. Not the referendum, but in the vote. It's not happening. Brenda Kupchik is still the first select woman of Fairfield. If you think, if you have thoughts about this and concerns about this, you ought to write to her. But I think the more important conversation that you need to be having is with your own Board of Ed in Fairfield. So this is a very, very big concern. I don't know if this is something that you're particularly thinking about. 203-333-9422 will take your call. But, uh, for example, families of students in Dwight Elementary School are concerned that that school, elementary school, may be closed after the board had early conversations about that possibility. Um, Right now it looks as if, according to this article, and only according to this article, it looks as if the... No elementary school in particular is being targeted for being closed. Some people did not want to share their names, but they said, quote, while they appreciate the goal of having a diverse community, the law forcing the district to this decision is outdated. Uh, This woman saying, I would ask that we are making sure that we are fighting the right fight. We aren't fighting our own future in Fairfield. People don't want to just be counted by their race and the color of their skin. They want to be able to walk to their community school. Steve from Fairfield, do you have a thought on this? Welcome to the show. Hi, Steve. I can tell you're in your car. 
Hi, Steve. Yeah, here, let me let me uh, shut that off. And... Thank you, if you can, but, but please be safe. Here, please be better? safe. Yeah, much better. Thank you. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm listening to what you're talking about. I'm, my kids went through the, the system, and I'm one of the original ones, if not the one with Ann Clark. I started the uh, with McKinley School. Oh, I know the, McKinley uh, School. The, yeah, yeah. The out of the out of district assignment, oh. allowing your child be, because my kids, you know, were were you know very good students and were very supportive. But that school was struggling. This is got twenty five years ago. They're still doing the same thing. They haven't made any movement. Mm. And my proposal with Ann, but she didn't do it. I said, if you take all these kids that are, you know, out, you know, that are at McKinley and are struggling and maybe from different backgrounds, and we spread them throughout Fairfield, therefore you'd have a, a, a lesser impact on the school, but these kids would learn and, and the other kids would help them improve their achievement. But, of course, Fairfield is the land of NIMBY, and they wanted nothing to do with that. So your proposal – now, let me ask you something. If you're thinking about the kids themselves, would they feel – I mean, it's hard to know whether to ask them. But do they feel better in a group of other kids from the same background so they don't stick out like a sore thumb? Well, what does that have to do with, um, you know, learning and growing and, and living with people from different backgrounds? I mean, there's – you know, we have to be honest about this. They've allowed McKinley to turn into a school – of kids from, you know, either out of, out of district, out of town, and there's all these languages being spoken, and here we are, 25, 30 years later, it's still the lowest performing school in the district. And that, and I'm, I'm a teacher. I was for 20 years. Mm. And they take those kids out and put them in, and I, we know this because some of them tried it, and you put them in a school of higher-achieving students for whatever reason, okay, all boats will rise because they're in that environment. And kids learn by seeing and doing. Sure. And and if you but they're throwing so much money at that school and it's they still are. struggling. It's so interesting when it's, you talk about the money piece because you know clearly there's something other than money going on, right? Because we do throw a lot of money at these societal problems and we don't have much to show for it. And that goes in so many different directions. It is true. The money isn't obviously being spent in the right way. Uh, you know, I don't well, know what it, it's being it depends, spent. On. Yeah, well, it yeah. depends on what your what your bar is set at. Mm. I mean, they're spending, you know, they're spending a lot of money and they're spending a lot of those kids are being sent out of district because they have severe learning disabilities ah, that they're so far behind. That's right. And so, yeah, so you know, it's I I don't want to laugh, but I can say, my God, and I know Brenda, she used to live in our district. Um, but when I my kid was my daughter was teaching kids to read in the hallway in second grade because she was my daughter was very very talented mm-hmm. and to help a teacher. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was 30 years ago. Yeah. Is McKinley a school that draws from the kids that live near McKinley? Is that what you're saying in that particular? Well, they draw from that area. Okay. But what you have in that in a district, that area, you've got a, a, the highest density of population. Okay. You have okay. multifamily homes mm-hmm. You have, and a lot of low-income people. Yeah. People come, let's face it, they come to Fairfield to get a better education. Yep. 
those that can't afford, they, they end up in the district and going to McKinley. Yeah. And, and so McKinley creates, is the lowest performing. And so the, the, that, right. so that's what you're, so you're saying that the origin of this plan is the data that shows that one of the schools is underperforming compared to others. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you send them up to Burr Street, uh, the whole different, different world. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's like any other town. But let's go, but let's my, peel I, back I, the onion, Steve, and let's have the uncomfortable conversation. Why do we continue to have systemically bad um, scores? Is something going on in the homes of these kids? Is there not the commitment to education that uh, there ought to well, be? Well, yeah, I can tell you as a teacher, the taboo subject, we're never able to approach it, mm-hmm. is that all the things that we did and all the efforts we made uh, to improve the performance, it all came down to the home. Correct. And it came down to a, a mother and a father. That's right. Especially a father. And I, I taught in Norwalk for many years, so I could tell you stories, but we could never approach that. So they threw money at it, teacher professional development, and then when the computers took over teaching in the classroom, forget it. And the problem is that all the well-meaning money and wonderful teachers like you and your daughter willing to teach somebody in a second-grade classroom, that will put a patch, and that will change one starfish at a time here and there. But yeah. it cannot compensate for the lack of a home in which those values are continually supported. It can't. That's it. The schools can't do it. Nope. They can't do it. Steve, so. thank you very much for the call. Really appreciate All right. it. Thank you. Take care. Thanks Bye for bye. listening. We'll be right back. I think Wayne Winston's in the hallway someplace, although I haven't found him yet. 203 333 And now, a different perspective. Lisa Wexler talks with activist Wayne Winston. Now, on Southern Connecticut's news and information leader, WICC 600 AM and 1073 FM. Wayne is on his way in the building, so he tells me. 203-333-9422. Welcome back to the show. We've had a really good show today. We have covered a wide range of of, um, topics and actually... What we're doing every day is we're curating the show and putting together a podcast of highlights. I'm not sure what we're going to put on today because with our own ego in front, we think it's been a great show and we can't think what we would omit for you. But we spoke about the legalization of pot. We spoke about new educational criteria being proposed for the Norwalk schools. And we spoke about the interpretation of a law with respect to brand new mothers that Carolyn Ryan thinks is being interpreted in a way that harms families. And so we had a lot of deep conversations today. Actually, when Wayne comes, we're going to talk about some of these topics all together. But I'm going to ask you, Andrew, if you don't mind. We had the Golden Globes last night, and Melissa grabbed for me some pretty cool takes from the Master of Ceremonies, who I confess I never heard of before. His name is Jared Carmichael. I never heard of him before. So Andrew is multitasking and getting phones, and I don't know how he does what he does. Andrew, you're really a champion. But anyway, putting a million people on hold and doing what you're doing, um, have you ever heard of this guy, Jared Carmichael, Andrew? Did you ever hear of him? No. Okay, so not just me. We have a generational, you know, shift here. But he came out. And he gave a monologue that is getting a lot of attention. Let's play a little bit of it. Let's go to clip one. We're going to play a lot of it. Well, hopefully Wayne will be here for some of it. 
I am your host, Gerard Carmichael. Sure. And I'll tell you why I'm here. I'm here because I'm black. He's funny. He's funny. I'll catch everyone in the room up. This show, the Golden Globe Awards, did not air last year because the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, which I, I won't say they were a racist organization, but they didn't have a single black member until George Floyd died. So do with that information what you will. I'll tell you how I got here. I was at home drinking tea, and I got a phone call from my man, Stephen Hill. Uh, Stephen Hill is a great producer. And he said, Gerard, really, I'm honored to be making this phone call. He said, uh, I'm producing the 80th Golden Globes. And it would be an honor if you would agree to join as the host. I was like, whoa. You know? Like, one minute, you're making mint tea at home. The next, you're invited to be the black face of an embattled white organization. He is uh, really, really funny. Wayne Winston, hello and welcome to the studio. We're hearing from Gerard Carmichael, who hosted uh, a really fabulous monologue of the Golden Globes last night. Had you ever heard of this guy before? Yes, he's very popular, actually. Wait, why don't I put your mic on? Sorry about that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, he's very popular. Um you know, people know Kevin Hart and so on. He's at the yeah. top of the food chain. Is he? This guy. Have you ever is seen his Netflix hot. special? Um, I've seen Kevin Hart's. Um, Gerard is excellent. Is he? Yeah. All He's- right, let's hear more from him. Wait till you hear how funny he is. Let's keep going. We got some great clips. So I said, Stephen, I'm torn. I'll be honest with you. You know, I <laughs> one, it's a great opportunity. Thank you for the call. But uh, I'm only being asked to host this, I know, because I'm black. And Stephen said, let me stop you right there, Gerard. He said, you were being asked to host this show because you are talented, because you are charming. He said, you're being asked to host this show because you are one of the greatest comedians of a generation. But Steven's black, so what does he know? Like, he's only <laughs> producing this show because he's black. They're not going to tell him why he's here either. <laughs> so I said, Steven, this is a lot for me. Let me call you back. So I did what I do when I have a, a, a moral, racial dilemma. Uh, I called the homegirl Avery, who, for the sake of this monologue, represents every black person in America. <laughs> and I said to Avery, I said, Avery, they asked me to host the Golden Globes. What should I do? And she said, ooh, Buki, I'm so proud of you. Now, r- remind me, which award show was that again? And I told her about... Uh, how last year didn't air because of the no black people thing. And she was like, well, how much are they paying you? (laughs) And I said, well, Avery, it's not about the money, honestly. It's about the the moral question of whether I should allow. And she said, Gerard, enough of that. How much are they paying you? (laughs) And I said, $500,000. And she said, boy, if you don't put on a good suit and take the white people money. <laughs> is that great? Is that great? He's funny. Yes, he is. And, you know. By people... the way, he's very daring to have worn a pink suit. 
Did you see that pink suit he wore? Yes, I did. Whoa, that's a lot of self-confidence right there. Oh, although he did say he was gay because he welcomed someone else to the stage and said she's gay now also, which I thought was interesting. I think it was Nene, what's her name? The one that's that cop on Reno 9-11. You know who I mean. I don't talk about Anyway, he said she's now gay, which I thought was interesting too. Anyway, so Wayne, when you hear all of that, it's funny, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Don't you love when people can make fun of themselves? Isn't I that do. the best? I do. And I listened to the show on the way here. I mean, the traffic guys just were not with me. I was like swearing myself in a car. Anyway, um, you know, Kevin Hart is an older comedian now. He's not as young as he used to be, so Carmichael's part of this new generation. Uh, okay. So that's part of where... A new voice. Yes, and uh, you'll be seeing more of him, you know, entering um, the arena as far as comedians go. So I think it was pretty awesome that they did get him to host it. It looked like they made some changes from last year for Golden Globes to the point where even, you know, Tom Cruise turned in. You Let's know. talk about that. Wait. Okay. Wait. Okay. So, Andrew, do you have it queued? Andrew, okay. <laughs> I, want, I want you to play uh, Gerard Carmichael on the subject of Tom Cruise. You got that one? And I kind of forget that, like, where I'm from, like, we all live by a strict take-the-money mentality. This isn't the one, but this is a good one, too. I bet black informants for the FBI in the 60s, still, they, like, their families were still proud of them. Like, they were like, you hear about Clarence's new job? <laughs> They paid him $8 an hour just to snitch on Dr. King. <laughs> it's a good government job. <laughs> and I called Stephen back and I said, I'm happy to do this. And I was really proud of that decision. Until I got an email from my publicist saying that Helen, uh, the president of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, wanted to have a one-on-one sit-down with me. And I said, no thanks. Uh, <laughs> No, a trap when I hear a trap. <laughs> and I thought it went away. Then it came back. Like, well, they're not really asking, Gerard. They're insisting that you take the meeting. And I'm like, or what? They're going to fire me? They haven't had a black host in 79 years. They're going to fire the first one? I'm unfireable. <laughs> and it came back again a third time. You know, like, uh, you know, Gerard... Helen really just wants to educate you on the changes that the organization has made in regards to diversity. And I'll be totally honest with everyone here tonight. I, I don't really need to hear that. I, I took this job assuming they hadn't changed at all. <laughs> right. In other words, she wanted to hear herself give the mea culpa. She mm. wanted to hear herself flog herself and explain and apologize, and she figured that Gerard Carmichael would be a useful person to do that to. Melissa, do we have that next clip? Yeah, he's Andrew? Okay, Andrew's, okay. Andrew's going to have it. So there was a moment of tremendous daring yes. that Gerard Carmichael did last night. You brought up Tom Cruise. He brought up the unmentionable. Here we go. Mm-hmm. Uh three Golden Globe Awards that Tom Cruise returned. <laughs> uh, look, I'm just the host briefly or whatever, but I have a pitch. I think maybe we take these three things and exchange them for the safe return of Shelly Miskovich. They didn't know what to say. For those of you who don't know the story, Shelly Miskovich is the former wife, and I say former because she's believed to be dead 
uh, of the chair, the leader of Scientology. And it's been years since anyone's seen her, many, many years. And if you read Vanity Fair and other articles, they've been writing about the missing Mrs. Miskovich for years. And yet, her husband's never been called into a police station that I know of. Uh, he might be the likely person to question, to investigate, mm-hmm. to question. And she's just gone. She's one of these missing people that's mysteriously never turned up. Well, and he I, went there. I have I to like give that. him a lot of credit for, for bringing something like that. Because Me too. you have to think of how the audience interprets it. Mm-hmm. But when you have something strange like that, because we know what would happen if it was the average person. Uh-huh. We'd be in handcuffs, in jail somewhere because if they thought so. And the way he presented it, because that's what comedy is about. You have to, it's got to be executed properly so people get it without being offended and accepted. Yes, and And I love that he went there, particularly because Tom Cruise coming off of his biggest own movie, Maverick, you know, in a generation. Uh, And so he's strong. He didn't hit Mm. him when he was weak, right? It's better. It's better to hit people when they're strong. And yet he hit the weakness in it, which is Mm. Scientology has a wall up, and it's a Hollywood wall. And their celebrity Hollywood wall protects them. Yes. It was almost like a little roast for a second there that Mm -hmm. they had on there. A little little bit. A little bit of roast there. Anyway, I never heard of him before, but now he's on my map. All right. He did a great job. So, Wayne, um, what do you think about what he said? I mean, he was funny about it. Do we just want to pass on that and go into other subjects, or do you want to... Give me your opinion about, substantively, his comments about all this. Well, I mean, as a host, you have to find things that are current. You know, you can't do too much old stuff. As a comedian, you've got to be connected with what's new, what's going on. And people get it. You know, Chappelle takes heat from that Mm -hmm. as well. But, you know, his delivery, and we basically know the type of person that he is, and that helps deal with Dave Chappelle because he goes after everybody. He makes you laugh about everything. You know, it's when you pick a particular subject that people become more conscious of and say, wait a minute, why is he always talking about Jewish people? Why is he talking about black or gays? Right. And across the board, right. he puts things in context, even within his own experiences. And that's what Carmichael, I think, did here. I love what Carmichael did because he spoke to a largely white audience, although it, could, it was probably very mixed because the entertainment mm-hmm. industry is very mixed. And he basically said, I know why I'm up here. I'm the affirmative action candidate of the host of the evening, but it's cool. I'm getting a half a million dollars, and I'm here to entertain you. And when you do that, you disarm everybody. Yes, and, you know, look, it was, it was, it was an obvious, and I don't mean this is a bad, time because, bad thing, because diversity is always purposeful. It's never by accident. Mm. So when you make that remedy, if you have people going, oh, they put a black guy out. Well, you know, I mean, that's part of what this was about, inclusion, mm-hmm. and to have people winning, you know, that are of Asian descent, all of a sudden, it kind of becomes, wait a minute, you're telling me those type of people weren't here before, Mm. you know, back in 2022, 2021, 2020. So that shows they looked at things through a different spectrum, not through something that was, you know, patronizing, but said, you know, maybe we need to to look at them within the scope that they have, because a lot of times if you're outside that scope, you get no consideration. And you know what? I love that you said the word patronizing because he's, because he's like, I don't care whether you patronize me or not. My homegirl told me to take the money and run, and here I am. In other words, your motive may be your motive to try and make yourself feel good about some past guilt, but I'm cool. I'm here. 
But he also goes down in history also. Yes, so he, he does. understands what that yes, piece is as well. As a black person, he realizes that's how he is respected and, and seen as part of the solution of something with the Golden Globes. And Oscar went through something like that. You know, I, I still come back to the fact that if it wasn't for Will and Grace, there would be no gay marriage. Mm. Because Will and Grace, it, it was such a breakthrough show. It's hard to imagine now what a breakthrough show it was when it came on. And, of course, it still holds up because it's still so incredibly funny. But it so humanized gay people, right? And he said, I'm here for all the black people in America. She represents <laughs> all the black people in America who are telling me that I should go on the show. Yep. Nobody can ever do that. But when you're funny, yes. you humanize who yes. you are. And all of a sudden, yes. people can't say, that group represents an other to me. Mm-hmm. That group represents somebody that I recognize. I'm a human being just like them. We're going to be right back with Wayne Winston. We'll be right back. And now, a different perspective. Lisa Wexler talks with activist Wayne Winston. Now, on Southern Connecticut's News and Information Leader, WICC 600 AM and 107.3 FM. So we're schmoozing a little bit about the Golden Globes. And Wayne, you said we should hear what Eddie Murphy said. Eddie Murphy had a memorable moment. He received the Cecil B. DeMille okay. Award you know, for Lifetime Achievement. Yeah. And um, when his acceptance speech, he says, well, um, how do you basically, what do you do, you know, when you get this kind of level and what's going on in Hollywood? He says, one, mind your business. And he says, two, keep your name out of. <laughs> and then he has it. Andrew, do you have it? <laughs> you Does have Andrew it. have it? All right, Andrew has to go through it. We are a G-rated show. Yes, we are. Can Eddie you, Murphy's not known for being terribly G-rated. You well, know. he wasn't. He, it, 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 was, it, it was okay on this one. It was okay? It said, please keep your name out of Will Smith's wife's <laughs> MF mouth. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> and everybody cracked L- up. Cracked up. They cracked up. He's a brilliant talent, yeah, Eddie he is. Murphy. he is. That's why I said delivery again. And if Do you, you have, have a favorite clip, Eddie Murphy movie? You know, um, I got to say his stand-up comedy that was, was your the favorite. best. Okay. That was the best. He had a couple of good ones. He, he played actually this movie called Vampire in Brooklyn when he played a vampire. It. Yeah? Yes. And he was very, very good in it. Yeah? I mean, he's this cool black guy, and he's basically in the community, and he winds up seducing Angela Bassett. She's beautiful. And she becomes, you know, one of his... You know, uh, victims and falls in love stuff. It's really, really, really a, a, a cool thing. My favorite Eddie Murphy movie is Dreamgirls. Oh, well, let me. And they took me, away the Academy Award from him for yeah. it. They gave it, I mean, they gave it to yeah. Adam Arkin, who's a great actor, whatever, but they should have given it to Eddie Murphy. And, and let me be fair. He earned it. Yeah, let me be fair. Movie wise, that's stand up comedy. Yes, Dreamgirls is my favorite. Is that your favorite? Yeah. I wanted to touch on something before we go, though, because sure. there was so much going on about the so much. racial stuff today. Yes, and yes. Today was just like a, a bad day or stuff. But um, when you're trying to fix things, that are out of balance when it comes to, to race, mm-hmm. there's always going to be a thorny situation. Mm-hmm. Somebody's not going to be happy, and usually the status quo isn't mm-hmm. because that diversity has to be purposeful. Um, when we talked about what was going on in Norwalk, in Norwalk with the children, yeah. you know, I believe you have to have homework. I mean, there's something that goes with that that gives the kid, teaches them responsibility. Um, I agree you take one book and go like, hey, we're going to create a whole curriculum. We're going to have a discussion. It's kind of crazy. Um, the idea of, of even keeping grades, grades, you can get a 50, but not a zero. 
Um, well, mathematically, I understand, because if you've got a zero of something and you have a better grade the next time, you know, if you've got 100, best you can have is 50. So numerically, I get that. But the idea is to not get the zero. Right. So if you're not getting the zero, or then you don't... Or a 50. So, you shouldn't be failing anyway. So that's what the bottom is. So if they're trying to create a bottom that's a fake bottom to make a kid feel good, I'd like to see the data on whether it makes a kid feel better to get a 50 or a 30 or a 20. I don't know. Whatever. Well, I think it's as much about the parents having to see things ahead of time and be more reactionary. And when children start struggling, and um, I'm a very big advocate on reading everywhere in this country, in particular in these cities, uh, reading scores are pretty pretty terrible. Pretty and terrible. if you can't read, mm-hmm. you know, there's no such thing as black science, black math. There is black history, and you can't That's read black true. history if you can't read. It's the biggest thing I believe that is we're kind of missing. Um, but the schools where children can read, those schools do better, and there are many schools that are doing significantly well. I think that's a, a big focus on helping new parents and even schools that are trying to deal with kids before they get further up to make sure that they can read. This is a conversation we're going to have to continue Yes, all the time. Wayne, uh, thank you for being with us. It's always my pleasure. It's so much fun to have you. Wayne Winston on the Lisa Wexler Show. We've got uh, Dave Ramsey up for the next couple of hours and then Connecticut Today with Paul Paselli. Tomorrow, Kelly O'Hara is coming on. No, she's not coming on. Okay, that didn't happen. But we are going to have Representative Christine Conley on, and she wants to suggest a different way to have our electricity bills be monitored. Thank you very much for all the people who have called in today. We appreciate it. You can stay on hold for the next host, or you can call us back tomorrow. And don't forget our podcast, which you can find everywhere you can find a podcast. Please download, subscribe, and share. We'll be back tomorrow. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at lisa at lisawexler.com.